I'm ESG Clarity Deputy Editor Natasha Turner and welcome to another sector special episode of ESG Out Loud, where we take a deep dive into the ESG considerations of different sectors. Today's episode is sponsored by JP Morgan and in it we'll be taking a look at the real estate sector. Our first guest today is Mary Claire Bolton, Executive Director, Global Real Estate Client Portfolio Management at JP Morgan Asset Management. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mary Claire. Thank you, Natasha. So first off, just briefly explain uh, what your role is and what it involves. My name is Mary Claire Bolton. I am an investment specialist for real estate at JP Morgan Asset Management, and that sits within the alternatives division of the firm. In my role, I'm responsible for marketing the investment capabilities of our global real estate platform to clients based in the EMEA region. Okay, brilliant. So thinking about the ESG considerations then in your role that you have to take into account, what ESG or sustainability factors do you look at and what are those factors that are unique to the real estate sector? Commercial and residential property are the largest contributor to global warming today, and they account for approximately 40% of global greenhouse gas emissions. With the size of property's carbon footprint and the push towards carbon neutrality, uh, we think comes a fiduciary responsibility to reduce both the carbon emitted by the buildings as well as the carbon embodied in the buildings. Landlords, tenants and investors are increasingly focused today on the optimization of building efficiency. So in other words, upgrading existing buildings so that they require less and better sourced energy and use less water. And in the case of new construction, take a more environmentally thoughtful approach So where an older building is being demolished to make way for the new build, seeking to reuse as much of the demolition material in the new construction and avoid landfill, and for the new construction itself, seeking to use lower carbon intensive materials such as green concrete with a lower cement content and timber. This lower carbon shift uh, is being pushed through by national level regulation For example, in the UK, all new homes by 2025 will be banned from installing gas and oil boilers, and instead they will need to be heated by low carbon alternatives. We're seeing this shift is also being facilitated by the real estate industry itself through Energy Star ratings, green building certifications, such as Briam and LEED. Buildings that don't keep up with these changes we think risk obsolescence and buildings that do will be sought after and that can lead to financial reward. The built environment really does have a great opportunity to have a positive impact on the pace of climate change. Do you have any examples that come to mind of buildings that have really gone on that journey to improving their carbon neutrality or or kind of um, yeah upping the greenness of excuse the technical term of their um, of their spaces I mean I think every every asset really is an example to to the degree because we measure and have a plan for every asset that we own Um, and I think that any responsible uh, manager of real estate um, uh, will take that approach so um, it's 
it's kind of taking taking an, an existing building um, and looking to kind of reduce energy use across the board. Um, it's taking new construction and taking a much more thoughtful approach today as to how um, uh, you go into that. So um, your design um, will dictate the kind of certification that you're able to achieve um, uh, as you go to build that asset. Um, and uh, um, there are certain criteria that if you can achieve them, will we'll, we'll give you that, that, that level of low carbon certification. Um, so that's something that we always run our business by. Um, every, every asset has a plan and it's reviewed on a quarterly basis um, by a task force uh, that, that wants to ensure that you know, every, every plan is kind of going as it should. Um, and at the end of each year, then we'll look to um, either revise the plan just according to the way a project might be going. So um, I think just improving the asset uh, year on year um, is always a focus for our business, certainly. And I think um, increasingly for managers, given the spotlight on real estate, um, the, 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 the real uh, focus on uh, regulation now as each country strives to meet the, the Paris Accord targets um, uh, really, really is the driver. Um, uh, and managers that can prove out that they're able to take on that regulation and implement it through a policy and through the assets that they own, in turn, from an investor standpoint, will be more attractive. So you've spoken already about why uh, there's a particular need in the real estate sector for these considerations and, and also about the, uh, uh, the improvements in the sector. But can you just expand a bit about the positives and negatives coming out of the real estate sector when it comes to ESG? So, I mean, on, on the negative side, the key fact remains that uh, a very large proportion of today's commercial real estate dates back many years, for example, to the 1970s. So a time uh, when environmental issues just weren't the concern that they are today. Many of these buildings will still likely be with us in 2050. So that is the year when many governments around the world have pledged to reach zero carbon targets. That means that these buildings will need to be decarbonized and that's going to require major investment from landlords. On the positive side, there are a lot of new ideas and frankly, some not so new ideas and technologies which are being encouraged by this tightening regulation. Energy reduction is key. And as an example, there is the relatively simple fix of retrofitting LED lighting. And even there, only 50% of commercial buildings have adopted LED today, and we need to reach 90% to meet current targets. So there's still a way to go. Looking at our own activity at JP Morgan, we approach energy in three ways. We look at it through the measurement of energy consumption, we look at the source of energy, and of course, we look to reduce energy consumption overall. For measurement, we tackle that through installing energy meters down to subtenant levels. We also install building management systems. So that is a software which helps us to understand how an asset is currently being operated. The data can very much highlight how we can optimize the running of the building. So, for example, if a tenant is typically in the office from eight in the morning until six in the evening, 
the cooling system doesn't need to be on at 3 a.m. So having the data really allows us to make changes which can lead to significant reductions. For source, um, we do look at the source of energy to a building and we either switch ourselves or we recommend to switch to a green tariff. That's where the power supply is backed by renewable energy sources such as wind and solar. We, we also look at on-site uh, solar. So that is installing solar panels on roofs with the goal of increasing our renewable energy use. For reduction, there are lots of ways that we can achieve a reduction of energy use. And I'll give you a few examples. Um, in relation to LED lighting, uh, which we've already mentioned, we install absence detection sensors that trigger lights to go off when space isn't in use. We use daylight compensation controls that help to maximize the use of natural daylight. Another simple fix can be to really install windows that can be opened. So often you don't see that in office environments, um, uh, but it's actually something that we do introduce. Um, it takes the load off the cooling system, which is great. And um, also for natural ventilation, that today in this post COVID environment is very much sought after uh, with this new health security consciousness. And then for water efficiency, we install plumbing fixtures that reduce water use. The key theme here is that we only really want to use the energy that needs to be used rather than having energy uh, pumping out continually. Other examples of how we introduce fixes include uh, the introduction of electric charging vehicle points. Uh, we put in also a biodiversity plans. So that's uh, the introduction of beehives, bat boxes, bird boxes, insect hotels. And then finally, um, we do spend time on sharing knowledge uh, and sustainability best practices with our tenants, which we do through producing uh, handbooks. We also produce things like newsletters and so on. Spreading the word through education can be really impactful. It's a great way to engage occupiers, which ultimately can lead to stickier tenants and better financial metrics for a building. Yeah, really interesting. Thank you. And loads of opportunities there in those companies creating those technologies as well that makes everything more efficient. So just finally then, what role do you think the real estate sector will play uh, more in general, I guess, in moving towards a more sustainable world? So if I take our flagship core fund in the US as an example, which is a, a leader in sustainability, in 2020, what we achieved was energy equivalent to a year's worth of almost 16,000 homes electricity use being saved. Water equivalent to 319 Olympic swimming pools were saved. The reduction in the amount of waste generated was equivalent to the weight of almost 1,200 school buses. And we think those are very impactful achievements. As a manager of real estate, JP Morgan is not alone in terms of having an established ESG policy with explicit reduction targets. Investors today want to choose managers that are demonstrably fully ESG integrated, that are UNPRI signatories. And then you have industry bodies such as GRESB and INREB who set the standards for unlisted property and importantly help investors navigate the competitive landscape, providing them with a good framework to assess how much impact a manager is having year on year as it relates to ESG. And it's not just the investors that have ESG standards that need to be met, it's also tenants. 
Many corporate occupiers today, particularly amongst higher credit tenants, have corporate ESG policies in place that influence their choice of premises. If we take a look at the capital markets and look at London, just as an example, whilst office vacancy during the last 18 months has spiked during the, the recent COVID-19 pandemic, the proportion of vacant space that is made up of grade A high quality office is at an all time low of just 25% of overall vacancy. So that tells us that the occupier preference is for high quality ESG compliant space. A building that performs well from an ESG aspect helps corporates achieve their ESG goals. It enables them to signal also to their employees how seriously they take ESG. Um, and then uh, the bottom line is an energy efficient building, of course, leads to absolute cost savings. So for, for the corporate, really, it's a win-win. And if I go back to my very opening comments, you know, real estate makes up 40% of today's greenhouse gas emissions. And managers and owners of real estate have a real opportunity to make a difference in improving the efficiency of buildings. Brilliant. Yes, and that ties it all up nicely. So thanks very much for joining us today. That's really insightful. Thank you very much, Natasha. Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.